0: week uh, we were on, on a drive, Susan and I were and I looked over and she was griping at her phone. she said, "I did not order anything from Walmart. I'm like, what are you talking? Well, she now periodically, at least a couple times a week, uh, sometimes once a day, gets a text to her phone telling her that your order from wherever walmart.com, amazon.com is ready for you to pick up in four hours hit this link. Well, she knows better. Uh, not, don't hit that link, you're going to end up, uh, who knows, you're going to end up with a virus on your phone, you're going to be led to to some site that you don't want to go to. And so, she knows to be careful with that. You know, we live in a, a time where information is incredibly available right now. We are live streaming this worship service from right here in Watauga, Texas, and ultimately, anyone around the world could have their phone or could have a computer in front of them and could pick that up and see live, or at least with a, a, only a second or two delay, exactly what's going on here. They could hear every mess up that I make because we don't have time to bleep it, right? Uh, we live in that kind of world. So, it's a, it's a time of incredible information but it's also a time of incredible disinformation. And we find ourselves uh, with new terms over the last few years, like fake news. And we begin to wonder what is true and what is not true. That's a struggle that is not new. One of the most frustrating things that I've had, and I have uh, as a leader of the church, and and as I have sought the Lord over the last uh, 16, 18 months or so to lead this church through the, the COVID pandemic, it's very clear that this COVID virus is brutal, and uh, I have family members that, that I have lost due to this virus. But on the other hand, there are some things that just have not added up, and, and I've asked that question, what is the truth? What What's real out there? There was an article that came out in April of this year uh, in the Star tell, I remember the, this was in the Dallas Morning News, came out on April the 20th, I believe. The headline was, Dallas County has logged only two flu cases and no deaths this season. Really? When last year we had 19,000 cases of the flu in Dallas County? And so my question all along has been, where's the flu? Something just does not make sense. And when I've learned with not just social media, but with everything. When something doesn't make sense, dig deeper. There's something that's not there on the surface. So, this, just this week, I uh, heard a headline, and I thought, I don't know if that's true or not. And so, I went and I looked it up myself. On Wednesday, the Centers for Disease Control Uh, published new guidelines for laboratory testing all across the United States. You can find this on Center for Disease Control website, the Division of Laboratory Systems. They're instructing all of the labs in the United States to be aware that by December the 31st, they're going to completely phase out one particular, in fact, it was the primary test that's been used since last February for COVID testing, the RT-PCR test. We're not going to be using that anymore, and you need to be phasing it out now. Here's why. Because that test has been the primary test used for COVID, COVID testing. Well, let me just read you the, the, the sentence from the CDC's own website the new, uh, about the new test. CDC uh, encourages laboratories to consider adoption of a multiplexed method that can facilitate detection and differentiation of SARS-CoV-2 and the influenza virus. The tests that they've been using to tell us who had COVID and how many tests that it had could not differentiate between COVID-19 and the flu. So since February of 2020, if you went to the doctor and you were tested with this particular test, which was the primary test used across the United States, You would be told that you tested positive for COVID, but you might have had the flu. Now, most of us probably aren't surprised. The CDC has published this on Wednesday, that they're going to phase out that test completely because now they have some tests that they've been able to develop off of the COVID DNA strains that will be able to differentiate between whether somebody has COVID or the flu. And so, my question for the last 16 months has been, where's the flu? You can't tell me that nobody in Dallas County had the flu for the last year. And so, I've walked away from this shaking my head once again with Pilate's question, what is the truth? What's the truth? See, Pilate lived in a day of disinformation also. It was not on the level of the disinformation that we face. He didn't have to to worry about uh, looking on his phone at a a thousand different news articles, but the story that we read today is Pilate trying to find the truth and struggling with the truth and coming up with the same frustration that we have. In, In John chapter 18, verses 28 through 38, you have Pilate in this discussion with that very question, what's the truth? He had the, the Pharisees coming at him and the, the high priest coming at him with their recommendations. He had uh, the Sadducees coming. He had uh, Jesus being brought before him. He's asking Jesus to answer some questions. Jesus is telling him the truth, but Pilate can't understand what Jesus has to say. And so, by the end of the exchange, Pilate doesn't know where to go because he can't determine truth. Now, Truth was an incredibly important concept for John and John's gospel. We've been walking through the gospel of John for months now. John used the word, spoke of truth 26 times in his gospel. He launched early on in the prologue of his gospel. You find these words, the word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as of the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. He goes on to say, a couple verses down in the same paragraph, indeed, we all have received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John, in his gospel, is going to help point us to something that is trustworthy, something that we can get a handle on and we can place our lives and our trust in. See, Over the last 18 months, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I've never stood here. In fact, as I've led the church, I've never said that that this COVID thing's all false. It's not. In fact, the, the, the problem is that some of this testing, according to CDC that we were using, probably caused more people to die because we didn't know who had the flu and who really had COVID, sometimes until it was too late. But they've told us that it worked. It's just like up front when they told us you don't wear a mask. It doesn't make any difference. And they told us to wear a mask. And, and you just stand here and you just shout, what's the truth? If you'll just tell us the truth, we'll have something we can stand on. John wants us to see what the truth is. Read with me. John chapter 18, verses 28 and following. The Scripture here says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. So they the, the, the Jews had taken him, taken Jesus before Annas, the retired high priest who was they considered still the high priest to Caiaphas who was the acting high priest under the Roman's authority. And now they've taken him from Caiaphas to uh meet with Pilate. And as he comes to Pilate, it John says it's it was early in the morning. So still early in the morning, I'm gonna pause here for a second because the Scripture says they did not enter the headquarters themselves. So the high priest and the Jews would not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. What an incredible amount of irony in that. We talked about this last week, so I won't detail it too much. But here, the Jews are going against their own laws, their own rules, their own regulations by bringing Jesus before a court in the darkness of night, before taking him uh, when, uh, and, and, and trying to bring a verdict the same day that they brought, him, brought the charges forth. And you see all of these things that they've done that are absolute debauchery, false witness, and yet they, they don't want to step into Pilate's courtyard because they'll be defiled and they can't eat of their uh, Passover feast. They can't celebrate the Passover feast. It, it, it reminds me of Jesus' words to, to the uh, leaders, the, the Jewish leaders there in Matthew, when he said, you worry about cleaning the outside of the cup, but you don't clean the inside of the cup. You, you'll paint the outside of the tomb white so that it's beautiful, but on the inside you're nothing but dead men's bones. Here, they're, they're, they're so worried about how people would see them step into Pilate's, and yet there's all kinds of sin eating away at the inside of their hearts at this moment. So, Pilate came out to them, and he said, what charge do you bring against this man? Well, they answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. What kind of charge is that? Oh, he's a criminal. see, they must have already brought some kind of charge against him because they had talked Pilate into letting them take Roman soldiers out to help effect the arrest. And yet now they stand before Pilate, and they're unwilling to announce any charges. You know why? Part of it is because they already had their mind made up. Maybe they're a little frustrated that Pilate hadn't already had his mind made up. So Pilate tells them, well, you take him and judge him according to your law. Look at what they say. Do you think that this is a fair trial? It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They'd already decided he was guilty. Not only had they already decided he was guilty, they'd already decided on the the punishment for the crime. They had already decided Jesus had to die that day. Regardless of their own rules, regardless of their own guidelines, regardless of their own judicial system, they had already made up their mind. This wasn't a trial. This was a lynching. They had gone out and gotten Jesus determined to crucify him that day and get it done so that they could get him off the cross before the Passover. They'd already made up their minds. There's nothing about this that is legal or right, even according to their own rules and their own laws. And so they said this so that Jesus's words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus already knew how he was going to die. And here's the other side of this. And we're going to flesh this out a little bit more in a moment. Jesus didn't die, we've said this time and again, because the Roman soldiers overpowered him because the Roman kingdom was so great. He didn't die because the the Jewish leaders had great charges against him. Jesus died because he gave up his life for us. That's why he died. Jesus already knew how he was going to die as well. So Pilate went back into the headquarters, there in verse 33, summoned Jesus and said to Jesus, said to him, "'Are you king of the Jews?' "'Jesus answered, "'Are you asking this on your own, "'or have others told you about me?' "'I'm not a Jew, am I?' Pilate replied. "'Your own nation and chief priests handed you over to me. "'What have you done?' "'My kingdom is not of this world,' said Jesus. "'If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight "'so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. "'But as it is, my kingdom is not from this world.' "'You are a king then?' Pilate asked." "'You say that I'm a king,' Jesus replied. "'I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, "'to testify to the truth. "'Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice.'" "'What is truth?' said Pilate. "'After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again, "'and they told them, "'I find no grounds for charging him. "'You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at Passover, "'so Do what you want to me. uh, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a revolutionary. Another way of saying he was a criminal. So, as you walk through this text, there's a couple ways to divide the text. I want to look at it from Pilate's primary questions that he asked Jesus, but I'm going to provide you in the outline, you're going to kind of see the answers because Jesus did not give direct answers to Pilate's question. He answered with an underlying truth, or in the first case, another question. In verse 33, Pilate, when he took Jesus into his headquarters, he asked him this question, are you king of the Jews? Now, if Jesus were to answer that question, yes, I am king of the Jews, he would identify himself as a king of a particular nation. That's what Pilate was looking for. And if he claimed his kingship at that point, Pilate also has reason to Find him guilty because he, uh, you were only allowed to proclaim that Caesar was king in the Roman Empire. And so, Jesus uh, simply says, or asked Pilate the question, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? And one of the things that I picked up from this particular answer is Jesus knew that he didn't have to answer. He didn't have to. Jesus has all the authority. Pilate has a a bit of authority. Pilate has an authority over uh, a particular locale, but he's not even the ultimate authority. He reports to his superiors going all the way back up the line to Rome. And so, Pilate is a man under authority. Jesus is the authority. And so, Jesus doesn't have to answer Pilate's question. In fact, the bottom line is, in a moment, this whole scenario could be done. Jesus could put an end to it because he's God. Jesus is not there, once again, because he was overpowered by the enemy. Jesus was in that place at that time because he came for this purpose, to give up his life for us so that we could have eternal life. And so Jesus doesn't fully, directly answer the question. He asked Pilate, did somebody tell you that or did you figure it out on your own? Because ultimately, Jesus is king. He's not just king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And the next question leads into that because Pilate then asks, uh, and in verse 35, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your nation and the chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? Now, Jesus is gonna answer this question again, but he's not gonna answer it the way that Pilate was wanting it to be answered. Jesus says, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus there confesses that he is a king. But he indicates that his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom doesn't have a particular geographical area that he's going to reign over. His his kingdom does not have a particular people, so to speak, from a a specific background that he's going to reign over. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom, he says on down in, in at the end of the verse 36, my kingdom is not from here. Well, where is Jesus' kingdom from? He's already told them where his kingdom was from. Back in John chapter 8, Jesus tells the the, the Jewish leaders, My kingdom is from above. John 8:23 says, You're from below, I am from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. Therefore I told you that I'll die for your sins. It's all tied together in in the purpose for which Jesus came. He is not from this world. His kingdom has no beginning, and his kingdom has no end. Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus always will be the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who reigns over all of the universe. Now, Pilate is not going to fully be able to understand that. You know, and it's oftentimes, when, when, when we pick up something that is beyond our ability to grasp. We, uh, we had a church member here a while back who was getting his PhD in New Testament, and, and uh, he had me read through some of his uh, document. I couldn't understand half of it. It was over my head. And I'm a guy who was going to school for my PhD in another field. You know how that is. Try to go pick up a physicist's writings and read it and tell me how much of it you understand, unless you're in that field. Pilate, what, what Jesus was telling him was just over his head. Jesus is answering his question. Yes, I'm a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. Look, if, if, if my kingdom were of this world, that's, my disciples would fight. But we're not fighting over territory. My kingdom is from another place. And that's why Jesus is not threatened by Pilate. He's not threatened by Pilate's authority. See, Because his his kingdom is not rooted in this world, and his kingdom is from above. His kingdom is from his Father. No one can take his kingdom away from him. Pilate can't take his kingdom away from him. The the, the Jewish authorities can't take Jesus' kingdom away from him. They can take his physical life, but only if he lays it down. Even then, we're going to find out that they couldn't win that battle because Jesus is going to rise up out of the grave. There is no one. The author of life cannot be killed, okay? Okay? So Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And because of that, his authority knows no boundaries. There's not a geographical area that that he reigns over. In fact, it's not just a planet that Jesus reigns over. Scripture says Jesus is seated right now above the heavenlies, beyond the heavenlies. Where is that? It's outside of creation because he created everything that we understand that we dwell in. Jesus is a king, but not like Pilate understood. So Pilate digs into that question. He wants to go a little bit deeper. And so he says, So you are a king then? <laughs> well, that's Pilate's struggling with it. You see that there in verse 37. So, okay, so you are a king then. Jesus answers in another way You say that I'm a king, but I was born for this. And I have come into this world for this. So, with all of this going on around Pilate, with him being pulled by the Jewish authorities one way and and, and, and under pressure from the Roman government to to keep peace uh, in in Jerusalem and in Judea, and and the the crowds now gathering outside of his his courtyard, they're going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And what John doesn't touch on, in the midst of this exchange, at some point, Pilate's wife comes in and tells him, don't do anything with this guy. I had a bad dream about this last night. It is not going to go well if you, uh, if you have him crucified. You just don't, don't have anything to do with him. So all of that information is coming into Pilate. And, and Jesus responds, this is what I was born for. This is what I came into the world for, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate kind of looks at that and shakes his head. Walks away from Jesus and says, what is truth? He, he's examined it all. He's got all this information coming from all different directions. What, what he comes away from this is saying, look, I don't have any grounds to crucify Jesus. I don't have any reason to, uh, to hold him accountable for anything here. And so, you see in verses 39 through 40, Uh, He goes out to the crowds. He says, look, y'all have a custom that I release a prisoner to you at Passover. Uh, Who do you want me to release? You want me to release the king of the Jews for you? Well, by then, the the Jewish leaders, the high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had, had stirred up the crowd, and they shouted back, no, not him. Just set Barabbas free. Let Barabbas go. Let the criminal go. See, it was all already... Prearranged. that the, the Jewish leaders knew exactly what they wanted to do. But Pilate is still struggling with it because he's looking at it and he's going, wait a minute, something ain't right here. It's kind of the feeling I had about the flu over the last several months. Something just it's not adding up here. What is the truth? This would have helped Pilate because this is really where Pilate didn't understand and kind of asked the wrong question the best question was not what is the truth the best question was who is the truth because just the evening before jesus stood in front of his disciples and he told his disciples like i'm about to go don't let your hearts be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions and he tells him, if it were not so, I would, have pre- I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. And, and P- Thomas asked that question, well, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The very reason that Jesus stepped into this world is that we might know truth. And there is one place where we can find truth that is not changing, that is not a moving target, that is not adjusting itself. And that truth is truth that comes from the Father. If I were to tell you I was going to go up stairs, we have a, a, a hatch that goes up on the roof. I'm going to go up on the roof and I'm going to jump off this building and I'm going to fly. You know that that's idiotic. What's going to happen? I'm going to jump off the building and a fraction of a second later, I'm going to hit the concrete and it is not going to feel good. It's going to hurt. Oh, why am I going to hit the concrete? Well, we know. We've studied it from science. The, 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 there's this, this invisible, attractive force called gravity that is not that attractive if you jump off the roof of a building on a concrete, but it will attract you and your body toward the center of the earth. But why? Where did gravity come from? Because God said that there's gonna be gravity on earth. And if you fly far enough up beyond the, the edge of the earth, out to the edge of space, as uh, a couple of our, our wealthiest uh, People did this last this last week or so. You can escape the bounds of gravity to where you kind of float, but there's still gravitational forces, gravitational attraction throughout the universe because God said so. Truth is rooted in the Creator, the one who created it to be such. You can take a fish out of water and it cannot breathe. Because a fish is created to process oxygen from H2O through its gills. But you put me in the water and hold me down there, I can't do that. Because my lungs were created to process oxygen from the air. Why? Because the one who created it said that that's the way it would be. Truth has to have, it comes from the creator who laid the foundation. That's why we struggle in in our world. We can study and we can research and we can come up with theories that might be right, but later on another scientist, another scholar, someone else comes along and finds out that that theory wasn't correct. And so we have all of this this information that is pressed into us from all different directions right now, and we have it coming at us from all kinds of media outlets, whether it be what, what we've referred to as mainstream, old school media, or, or the new media on, on the internet, and, and we're struggling with this. Where do we find truth? What is trustworthy? What can we hold on to? Jesus stands before Pilate as the truth. The very reason that Jesus came to earth, he says, was to testify to truth. And Everyone who is of the truth is going to listen to my voice. He said it another way in John chapter 8, verse 32. He says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is only in Christ that we're going to know the truth there's all kinds of other things that can whisper in our ears, but truth, trustworthy truth that's rooted in before the foundation of the world and will still be true after this world is destroyed, that kind of truth only comes from God. He is where we can find a trustworthy rock upon which our lives can be constructed. His Word, His personhood, He, Jesus, is the truth, and there is absolute truth in no other. It can be found no other place. Jesus is truth. So, ultimately, the better question is not what is truth, but who is truth, because truth is rooted in the eternal personhood of the Creator Himself that was put on display when Jesus was born. Why did I come? Why was I born? So that you can know the truth. The most important truth that I can give you today, the Apostle Paul says, is that you might understand how you can receive that truth, how you can can be connected to that truth. See, the disciples did not need Jesus to give them a map to heaven, He didn't need them to. Uh, he didn't need to give them, well, these are five important points. If you memorize these things, then you'll get to heaven. Or he didn't give them the 10 commandments in John chapter 14 and and remind them, if you do these 10 things and you don't do anything bad, you'll get to heaven because it was impossible for us to not sin. It's impossible for us to, to, to fulfill all of God's laws. Our hope is the person. We don't need a, a rule book. We don't need a map. We need Jesus. We need a personal relationship with the one who is the truth. And when we, in, we invest our lives in him, we surrender our lives to him, and we seek to follow him, we're going to say, we're, we're, we're hitching our wagon to you, Jesus. We're completely sold out. Where you go, we're going to go. Where you lead, we're going to lead. Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to dig into your word. We want to know you. We want to walk with you. You are my Lord. When we make that commitment to him, at that point, we gain what can't be gained anywhere else. We gain that relationship with the truth. We gain eternal life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, as he's kind of bringing that letter to a close to so this church that he had so much trouble with. He says, I want, you, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, the good news that I preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand and by which you're being saved, if you hold to the message that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I pass on to you as most important what I've received, That Christ died for our sins according to his word, according to scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day according to scriptures. And he appeared to Peter and the twelve according to the scriptures. What we need to hold on to is the simple gospel, the simple truth. Jesus came and he died for our sins according to his word. Jesus rose again just as scripture said he would. And there were witnesses who saw it. It wasn't done in secret. It wasn't hidden. That's what you need to hang your hat on. That's the simplest of all gospel messages that every one of us need to hang our hat on. That's really all that we have to know is that God sent his son to die on a cross that I could be forgiven of my sins. And he rose up out of the grave, victorious over death, hell, and the grave from our perspective. And if we'll put our faith and trust in Him, in that truth of that gospel, at that moment, we're transformed. We become His. That's the truth that Jesus came to show us. He is the truth, and the only hope is found in Him. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.